your mindset is the rules and regulations you live by that take the way you respond to things. And mindset is incredibly important. We have an exercise that I do with all the people that I work with, which is establishing someone's mindset themes. We have all these systems and protocols. If you think of a business, of a household, you know, there's all these systems and protocols. And the more systems and protocols you have, the more it allows you to be creative. But if you ask yourself, you know, do I have rules and regulations for the most important thing that, that I have in my mindset? Most people will say no. And so this exercise that we have, establishing your mindset themes, again, the rules and regulations that dictate the way you respond to things. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy folks, it's RJ Singh here at Ultra Habits and thank you for coming along another ride on this week's episode where we are talking to Dave Wood. Now, I originally came across Dave Wood in his material on LinkedIn where he was performing stress tests and kind of performance-orientated tests on MMA fighters, some of the best fighters in the world and some of the things that he was doing underwater and some of the breathing tests really caught my interest and I started to do some more research on Dave. He's a really, really fascinating operator. So Dave is a specialist in stress mitigation, recover and mental preparedness for athletes, innovators, leaders, business people, basically anyone in high-pressure arenas looking to optimize their health and performance. And we dive into this in detail in the conversation, particularly on stress, breath, and how we get hijacked in certain situations and how we can unstick ourselves from those situations, start to actually operate in a more calm way real time super super difficult stuff to do i mean for me like if i could do that i would be like 90 percent more efficient calm and productive it is the holy grail so i had to get dave on the show now dave combines theory-based knowledge and practical experiences that he's gained from 12 years is an intensive care paramedic and professional ocean lifeguard. In these roles, he was required to respond with high acuity, high pressure situations, and critically unwell patients, so people that were basically on the verge of death. In these roles, he acquired and honed his skills in stress mitigation, so it's on the tool stuff. We're not talking about theory. And he really enhanced his ability to remain calm and focused under this kind of pressure. And that's what we're on the show to talk about today. How can we take the lessons from Dave's journey, from his teachings, from his coaching, and from his own personal experience and implement it into our lives as business people, as entrepreneurs, is you know, whatever that may look like for us for parenting. Like for me, I lose my shit most of the times during parenting. I just I find I, just the stress and the noise and the the stimulation just starts to grind on me. And it's in these moments that I really find that I lose it. And so 
you know, there are a myriad of situations that we can imply um, what Dave teaches, and it's up to us to look to those areas in our lives that we find this stuff is applicable. Anyways, folks, I'm going to leave you in Dave's capable hands. Enjoy the show. Rate this podcast. Let us know what's working, what's not. As you know, I am on the road to a Guinness Book World Record attempt. By the time you hear this show, I would have either passed or failed. So more is to be revealed. Anyways, folks, I am going to leave you. Peace. Dave, good morning and welcome to Ultra Habits, man. Today, we're going to be picking your brain about the world of performance, performance under pressure. And uh, before we do that, I'll go into my morning. I had a bit of performance under pressure. I had to change nappies about two minutes before this conversation. And my son was screaming at me. My daughter was throwing her nappy at me. And my wife was looking at me. And it was like completely under the pump. And I could feel my heart rate elevating. I could feel my temperature, my temperature rising, my temper rising. But I made it through, man. So that's my that's my story of high performance under pressure. Uh, but I'm sure that you'll have much more interesting stuff than that, man. So welcome to the show, bro. <laughs> yes, man. Well, I'm glad to be in a look uh, forward to getting into this discussion. And man, what you're talking about there is just we're we're incredibly busy, right? And there's so much stuff going on in our lives, uh, and that that has implications on our uh response to stress and our ability to be calm under pressure. Yeah. What what I find is I have if I look at the tasks I do during the day, they're a lot and they're moving in different directions. Right? So they require a different pace. And I find that's where the complexity lies in trying to, you know, ideally put tasks together that require the same energy. So like maybe deep thought, you know, doing those tasks at one time, but it never works out that way. So like today I might have deep work meetings where I've got different levels of engagement required. And then I've got to bang out like 500 burpees in between that. And then I've got the kids and it's like, I find that whole oscillation and movement to be really the challenge, man. I don't know if that that makes sense, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, this is, this is one of the big problems is we've never we're in a we're in a time where we've never been so busy, right? And it can be easy when you're really busy to get stuck in a pattern of reactivity, and that's where um, some of these subconscious patterns of behaviour uh, come through without even our conscious awareness. And so, all of the stuff that you're talking about is about your ability to be able to focus and your ability to be able to bring conscious awareness to what you're doing. And and like I said, that can be hard when you're constantly surrounded by stress and in that pattern of reactivity. So yeah, a lot of the work that we're doing with uh, athletes and professionals is around getting them to understand this and be able to leverage stress and pressure to their advantage. And it's not about getting rid of the stress. Like you're talking about, it's everywhere, right? You can't get rid of it. It's about learning to work with that agitation. Do you think, Dave, that professional athletes have it good in the sense that they have, and this is an assumption, my assumption is is a professional athlete, their environment and the people in it give them grace to focus on one thing? And the, the, my assumption is, is that they have a high level of pressure from their craft, right? Like they're on the global stage, they're competing, 
is it in a sense though do you think a bit easier in the in 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 the sense that they're kind of focused on less things or do they have the same kind of stressors and multitude of activities and tasks that every day joes and janes have yeah it depends what what your um perception of an athlete is when i think of an athlete i think of anyone specialized so i I don't just category athletes into people that do sport that's if you're sitting in front of a computer for eight hours and you need to focus and you need to get things done then you're an athlete and and you have to train to that specialization and you have to realize that any specialization creates imbalances and those imbalances will always come out in high pressure high stress moments our hardwired patterns of behavior it's about getting people to understand this and start to identify some of their patterns that are enhancing performance and some of their patterns that are inhibiting performance and a lot with athletes what tends to happen a lot of the time is there is imbalance that the foundations aren't right and they get you can get right to the very top uh, with unstable foundations, but you start getting uh, found out. And when that happens, it's very hard to go back and get the foundations right. What we tend to do or what athletes uh, tend to do um, when things start unraveling, when they're right at the very top, is add more load. The problem is uh, that adding more load is what has caused the imbalance. Um, so often we've got to go back and, and get these foundations uh, foundations right. The foundations, you know, it's a combination of both mental and physical uh, performance. Um, yeah, I don't know if that makes. Yeah, it 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 does. I think that your view on the athlete and how you define that's super interesting. I mean, we talk about at Ultra Habits the 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 communities, executive athletes, right? Like our view is that we should approach our work our lives and everything like traditional athletes like the way of the athlete is not only reserved for this you know the sporting athlete in in our view and i think that's important as to kind of how do we come into our world the mindset that we adopt and i think it all starts with adopting that mindset of an athlete yeah yeah i I think it warrants like we talk about mindset. What is mindset? You know, my, mindset is that um, is the attitudes that determine how you interpret and respond to situations. Um, another way to frame it is uh, your mindset is the rules and regulations you live by that take the way you respond to things. And mindset is incredibly important. We have an exercise that um, I do with all the people that I work with, which is establishing someone's mindset things. We have all these systems and protocols. If you think of a business, of a household, you know, there's all these systems and protocols. And the more systems and protocols you have, the more uh, it allows you to be creative. But if you ask yourself, you know, do I have rules and regulations for the most important thing that I have in my mindset? Most people will say no. And so this exercise that we have establishing your mindset things, again, the rules and regulations that dictate the way you respond to things. And we just write them out. You know, three or four mindset things. I'll just give you a quick example. And, and what's so, actually, before I do that, what's so powerful about these mindset themes is it brings conscious awareness to what you're doing. Um, it allows you to unravel some of these ingrained patterns of behavior. But what we do is we get an athlete or a person or a human being uh, to identify some of these detrimental patterns of behavior 
when we flip those 360 degrees with their mindset theme. Now, for me growing up, one of my patterns of behavior was anger. Uh, that was my form of, um, of releasing anxiety and stress was through anger. And so I, ident I identified that because growing up, you know, when you have anger, it gets you into a lot of trouble and it's a very reactive pattern. So my mindset thing is, I do not lose control. I remain calm no matter what. Now, when I go into any situation, because that's my mindset thing, I don't go against it. And if I do, I really feel it. It impacts me. Uh, so that's the incredibly powerful um, uh, exercise that anybody can do. And we talk about change. You know, We talk about our ability as human beings to change. That's what this is about. The mindset theme is interesting. So we all know Carol Dweck's work on on, on mindset, and uh, it's something that I think about in particular with my kids because I'd rather be proactive with trying to shape their mindset versus them having to kind of unpack their issues or more issues, and they will have issues and everyone will have trauma. I think that it's naive to think they are not going to grow up with trauma, but I do think that as parents, we do and can shape their mindset. And so this concept of mindset theme is really interesting to me. So are you saying that this is a conscious uh, kind of you sit down and determine like almost as a charter what like how do you define your theme? That's very simple. Yes, you sit down and you write them out, but you have to first identify these reactive patterns of behavior, these patterns of behavior that are detrimental towards self-betterment and performance. Uh, and that Sometimes they're hard to identify. Sometimes they're very easy. You know them, uh, but they become very subconscious. And so when you go into a situation, these patterns of behavior come to the forefront, especially when there's stress and pressure. So it's about identifying them. And just like I said, like my pattern of reactivity was anger. And so I've changed that with my mindset. And another mindset thing that I have is um, my mindset is, you want to start my mindset is, I do not view thoughts as good or bad. Uh, just situations we respond to, and it's my response to the thought that matters. Incredibly powerful when, when you can understand that um, no matter what's happening, you can bring your conscious awareness to it, and through your thought process, you can change the way you react or respond to things. So, yeah, and, you know, talking about your kid, or talking about your kids, this is such an impressionable time where they are experiencing the world and they're experiencing that experiences are, are shaping their subconscious mind. You know, their, their beliefs, their uh, creativity, their intuition, their values, all these incredibly uh, important things that are going to set them up for, for how they uh, look at the world going into the future. So, yeah, you're right, man. It's an important time to start uh, integrating. I mean, this is stuff that should be integrated at school, right? I think so. I think it's ultimately, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is, in, particularly in progressive schools. And I think uh, if you were to look across the board. I mean, I know that here in Australia, there's a resilience project, which is being implemented in, in schools. I think it was a book written by a couple guys and the programs are now being implemented into the schools. Cause I, I mean, ultimately book smarts and ABCDs and one, two, threes, and it's obviously important to create human beings that are productive and, and just know how to, you know, do stuff. But the question is like, what's the internal capabilities around resilience mindset um, adaptability and how do we evolve that and like if we get more people like you involved at younger ages well i would argue that we would have not only a, a smarter 
community, you know, through the ABCs and one, two, threes, but a more resilient, adaptive and collaborative community. I mean, that piece around non-reactivity to what comes up, I, I think, like, what's your view on that? Do you think we're responsible for our initial thoughts and feelings? Like, do you think we should even try to focus or change that or like, yeah, that's a, that's a, a good question. And the answer is it depends. It depends on our perspective and view of the world and it depends on our, our subconscious patterns of behavior. If, if those are uh, negative patterns of behavior, they will, that will manifest into thoughts, right? That will manifest into a thought and that's where it becomes conscious. And so I think, I think the answer is just like, you have to be aware of, I mean, we have to be so aware of how we're thinking and how we're viewing things uh, and understanding that um, often it requires uh, our ability to just take a, t- t- take a step back and understanding whether we're uh, reacting to things or whether we're responding creatively. Yeah, my view is, you know, I've gone through different iterations of am I responsible for my thoughts and and my emotions or am I more responsible for kind of how I then dramatize them or not, right? And, And I use the word dramatize because not necessarily in a bad way, but that's my way of articulating whether I act or respond from that initial thought or emotion. I think Western psychology does try to shift the initial thought or emotion to a certain degree of success or not success. I found for me, accepting that is just a given and the programming of the nature and nurture of where I'm at and really not worrying about that as much, but really being interested in how do I respond and what attitude do I bring to the situation? And that's why I really like forms of stoicism and things like that, because it helps me be right-sized in my conduct. And I find if my conduct is good in spite of what I'm feeling or thinking, that will actually change my feeling and thinking for the better. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I think um, there's a discussion between the difference between responding and reacting, and reactivity is based on survival, right? That That's the part of your nervous system, that sympathetic division of your autonomic nervous system that is very much about uh, survival and responding is about being more conscious. And what that means, what I mean by being more conscious is it's bringing these uh, incredible, we have access uh, to these incredible body systems that are designed to regulate stress and pressure. I'm, I'm talking about your ability to be able to consciously control your breathing, your your uh, peripheral vision, um, you know, your muscular system, we're often sitting there holding this tension. So responding is about taking a step back, taking control of some of these uh, physiological parameters that we, we do have conscious control of. And that's where we can start getting into uh, these these more conscious uh, patterns of behavior, where we talk about, you know, responding. Responding is creative and it requires focus. Um, but reactivity can get you into all. I mean, there's, there's times when you need to just react, right? Where you need to bite down and react. And But most of the time, I think uh, we need to be more than Yeah. Well, let's shift the conversation to the athlete, but the athlete as you define it, someone that is kind of highly focused and specialized on their craft. And I think you made a, a good point earlier 
we make the assumption that people that get really specialized must be quite dynamic. I'm not sure about that. I think a lot of us do get to be highly specialized, but we're really clunky in the process. We burned a lot of bridges. <laughs> you know, we're super stressed out by the time we get there. We're just so competent because we've thrown thousands of hours at it, but we're not necessarily optimized. Is that your experience with like people that are at the top of their craft? Like, are they well-rounded generally or are they like super messy, but just really good at one thing? Yeah, again, it depends. But I think if we look at like peak performance, um, performance is when, when an individual performs to their, I guess, to their physical and mental potential, right? And I think a lot of people, that's where the imbalance lies. Like they put a lot of time, energy and focus into the physical body and less time into the mental side of performance. And the thing is that the two are tethered, right? You can't, any performance is 100% mental and 100% physical. And if one is off, it'll affect the other. So, so if you're off physically, it'll have a ripple-on effect into your mental focus. If your mind is agitated, that has a ripple-on effect into your body. What is that connection there? Well, if the mind is agitated, again, it activates that uh, that stress cycle in your body, which is sympathetic dominance, the part of your nervous system that gears you up for survival. Um, and this has massive physiological ramifications uh, in terms of increasing your heart rate, increasing your blood pressure, increasing your breathing rate. So the two are tethered and you've got to get both right. You have to invest into both. And, you know, we always talk about how important the mental side of um, performance is, but are we giving it enough uh, of our time and focus? And, um, you know, everything is about your ability to focus. If we think about, if we think about, um, there's, if we think about stress and pressure and excitement, they're the same thing. Physiologically, they're the same thing. When there's stress and pressure, you're upregulated. You're in an upregulated state. You have adrenaline, you have cortisol, you're ready to go, you're pumped up. Excitement is the same thing. How do And the question is, how do we bridge the gap between stress, pressure, overwhelm, anxiety, and excitement? And how we do that is... Uh, how we do that is by focusing our mind and being creative and tapping into the things that we have control of our breathing, our vision, our muscular system, um, to, to bridge that gap, you know, our, our, our language, our perspective. And it's easy to bridge the gap between stress, pressure, fear, anxiety, tension, uh, to excitement when you know uh, how to control uh, some of these things. And that is very powerful. Um, you know, I often talk to my athletes I work with, you know, 10 minutes out from competition and you feel overwhelmed. Uh, you feel you feel that uh, stress, right? How do you bridge that gap with your language and your perspective? Change the language, shift your perspective. The more ways you have of looking at something, the more choices you have. Your language has a ripple on effect right through your body. Um, yeah, we, we use like a five-step method to be able to sort of bridge that gap. And this five-step method is incredibly powerful and anyone can do it. And the great thing about this uh, five-step method is it intercepts stress by Physically, what we call bottom-up control of stress, and mentally, psychologically, what we call top-down control of stress. And you need both. It's much easier to control stress physiologically in your body by controlling your breathing, uh, for example, than it is to control your mind, because your mind's a crazy thing. But we need both. And um, just to take you through this quickly, the first thing is always embrace stress. Again, anyone can do this. Very easy to implement. Again, it just requires taking a step back in the moment. But the first thing is to embrace stress. Uh, you cannot get rid of stress. The stress is, is 
we're, we're surrounded by stress. So to embrace it, to go towards the fear, apprehension, tension, uncertainty. The second thing is to change the language that intercepts stress pertaining to your mind. Psychological stress change the language incredibly powerful. The third thing is to shift your perspective. Often we get stuck in this lens of looking at something, you know, in, in, in one way where there's actually a hundred different ways to look at something. And again, the more choices you have, uh, you know, obviously the more choices you have, the more creative you can get. And then the fourth thing is to take conscious control of your breathing. So this is where we start tapping into the body, into some of these physiological, um, uh, some of these body systems that we can use to regulate stress and pressure. Controlling your breathing is incredibly powerful because it intercepts the stress response. When there's stress, we tend to increase our breathing rate and depth. Uh, and the brain picks up on that, right? Something's happening. Let's gear up for survival. Well, let's activate that uh, sympathetic division of our autonomic nervous system. So just a couple of breath cycles in that moment goes a long way to regulating stress and pressure. And then the last thing, the fifth thing, is just to do a uh, head-to-toe body scan, find where you're holding attention and let it go. That tension is part of that sympathetic response, which is fight, fight, or freeze. We hold this tension in our bodies, and it if you're, um, you know, everyone can relate to this. If your job is to sit in front of a computer and, and you've got deadlines and pressure, if you just tap into what your breathing's doing, you'll notice that you are either holding your breath, your breath stacking, wobble inhales, short exhales, uh, and you're holding this muscular tension. And, and these people are often talking about, you know, like uh, neck pain, shoulder pain, headache, uh, difficulty to focus. It's, it's being stuck in that constant stress cycle. So this five-step method is incredibly powerful to be able to intercept stress and pressure in real time. And when you get good at it, good at it, you can apply that in about 10 to 15 seconds. But number one merges with number two, and number three merges with number four, and it's, um, yeah. So your work is kind of around exercises that expand those domains for individuals, right? So like I, I've seen your your underwater um, stuff that you do in terms of, uh, I think, pressure testing and pressure, um, uh, I guess, increasing one's capacity for like, are the exercises I'm assuming that you guys are doing are kind of geared to elevating individuals' capacity in those domains? The exercises are the practical settings to, okay, anybody, if you're trying to learn something, we need three things. We need to understand the underlying mechanisms. You have to understand what you're doing, otherwise you can't apply it. You can't apply the skills unless you understand what you're doing. Um, so we teach them the underlying mechanisms of stress and pressure, how that manifests physically and mentally. And then the second thing is to give them the skills, right? Like you have to have the skills. And then the third thing is to put that into practice, practical stimulations, whether that be in the pool, whether that be uh, beach training that we do, whether it be in the ice bar. It's all about, um, I mean, that's how we learn. And I think we often get stuck in this. Uh, we often miss that, that third component, which is the practical setting. And with the athletes we work with or with the professionals we work with, without taking them outside of their uh, comfort zone, you know? When I mean, you take a fighter, they're always uh, in the gym. Um, I mean, and it's... Obviously, those, those situations are stressful, you know, when you're sparring or you're fighting, but what I think is let's take them outside of that environment somewhere unfamiliar, and that's where we'll really see some of these uh, subconscious patterns of behaviour come to the forefront when there's stress and pressure because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for imbalances. We're looking for patterns of behavior. You know, selfish question. Uh, I've been doing a fair bit of research into the autonomic nervous system over the last 
a year and I've gotten some in, in, into some work, Stephen Porges. And do you think that our narrative drives kind of our physical responses or our physical responses drive our narrative? And the reason I'm asking is I used to think that it all started with narrative, but I'm actually pretty convinced that my body holds the stress and reacts based on previous memory and, and trauma and and is actually driving the narrative. And I think it's important to understand where that starts. So what do you have a view on that? Yeah. I think it's both. Um but I think yeah, I think this comes back to like I keep talking about these subconscious patterns of behavior. Whenever you experience anything in life, um that is stored like right that's stored in your body these are your subconscious uh patterns or, or your unconscious patterns um and whenever there's whenever the whenever we go into a situation uh those subconscious patterns are what create thought uh, that is what is coming up and stimulating thought and so if, if those subconscious, if, if we don't have, like it comes back to as a kid, we're constantly learning new things and that is being stored uh, in our bodies as subconscious, subconsciously, right? And so if we're not careful about how we consciously think about things um, uh, and our perspective of things, then our subconscious patterns can become detrimental to our health and performance. That's why these mindset themes are so important because it allows us to identify some of these patterns of reactivity or these patterns of behavior. It's not. I mean, the, the concepts behind it are very in-depth and convoluted, but the exercises are simple and that's so powerful. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. I, I, think, I think I've even forgot. No, I, 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 I think it, it has in, in the sense that like, and the reason I asked that question is I... I, I placed and I still place a, a large emphasis on mindset, right? And and having the right mindset and the right attitude. I think conduct with the right attitude is important. But I do now acknowledge that my body stores memories. For instance, let's say my wife and I have an argument. She might say one word and I can feel a physical response. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This word triggers something for me physically, which then drives the narrative. And I think it's important. It was an important cognition for me to realize that my body gets stimulated first through things like adrenaline. Like I hold a lot, and this might be in the main across humanity. Like I know for me, a lot's going on in my gut. Like that's where a lot of my my stressors are held. And I feel like that's where a lot of my memory and tension good, bad, the ugly is kind of held. And I realize for me, that's kind of where I react first, even before the narrative gets set or then the interpretation happens. I can bang it. I can feel it in my body. And I think that's an important realization for me because then it, once I realize that I'm in a better place to maybe respond versus when I start going into adrenals, let's say in an argument or a high tension situation, I feel it in my body. My narrative starts to go. It creates the story, connects the dots of the history. And, you know, maybe I'm not articulating it as well, but I think you know where I'm going with this. So I think that's what I'm getting at. You're articulating very well. And this is a massive problem. 
this is where, where we come back to you know that conversation about responding versus reacting and whenever you go into an argument or a situ let's just talk about a situation where there's sort of pressure what you're talking about is all your experiences of life whether they're good or bad coming into that moment that's not a good place to be and everyone can relate to this right how do we you know the question is how do we change it um we have awareness is like a key like what you're talking about is you're aware of it now Right when you can, and it's about just you know in the in, in emergency services. I worked as intensive care care paramedic for twelve years, and in the emergency services, we have the saying: you know, you never rush into a scene. Right when you rush into a scene, it's based on reactivity. Here, your vision goes from good peripheral awareness to narrowing your focus. Your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up. You're going to get cognitively overloaded. You're going to get task focused. You're going to forget the other things that you need to be uh, focused on. And um, and so, yeah, all this stuff I do is just about taking a step back before you react in those moments, in that, for the sake of what you're talking about, in that argument, and it will save you so much angst. Because when you do that, when you react, um, it affects your confidence. It affects your own perception of yourself, right? It weakens your confidence, your self-confidence, because no one wants to be uh, reactive like that. No. But even though you, you are consciously aware of it, it becomes such an ingrained pattern. Everyone can relate to that. Yeah. We're giving like the listeners like uh, just something that they can do. It is just take a step back. Take a breath. Just take two breaths. Before, and it's hard to do. It is so hard to do. I get stuck in this pattern of reactivity all the time. But when I do, when I do and I react, I stop, I take a step back. And I'm just like, I just talk to myself, hey, what am I doing here? Like, like what's actually going on? And it is, it's my experiences of life. It's the traumas I've been through that are coming to the forefront. Mm. Yeah, my uh, mentor, he's actually a Kiwi and he, he's, uh, he's a student of mystic stuff. And he talks about the story of the snake and the rope, right? Like how... Our perception changes and we start to see a, a, a snake, but it's a rope. And we, we have lots of conversations around perception. Perception for me is fascinating, right? Because it a lot of discord and disharmony and dysfunction in our personal lives, but in societies, really, because we're kind of seeing things differently and we all think it's our, it's a reality, right? And so there's a lot in that piece is to kind of, could we all collectively learn to step back and what would society, what would our relationships look like if we actually reduced reactivity? I mean, it could be game-changing even, even by a percent or 2% or 3%, right? Like if we just stopped being so reactive. But I think we're dealing with... Yeah, go ahead. It's hard when we're stuck in... Um, it's hard when we're so busy. Everyone is so busy now, Right? So these things become hard. We, and this is what I hear that with, with clients I work with, with. The thing I hear most is I'm too busy. Well, if you want to change, if you want to create uh, substantial and sustainable change, you're going to have to find a way to not be so busy. And often that busyness is in our minds. Often it's up here, mental agitation. This thing is burning so much energy all day, latching to things latching to this that that person said to this they latch to it you can't let it go you want to write on social media about it talk to you to talk 
we can't let things go. So yeah, we're busy. Are we are physically are we busy or mentally are we are, are we busy? And it's both at the moment. But we have now we're getting into uh, this thing of like we haven't adapted fast enough for for. I mean, we live in concrete jungles. Stress is all around us, and we have agitated minds. Um, and so it's about all the stuff. Of, you know this, man. It's about doing the deep work. You know, it's about doing that self work, whether that be meditation, whether that be like um, whatever it is to calm the system. And we have to do those things throughout our day. Otherwise, we get stuck in that sympathetic dominant state. And that's where the activity comes from. It comes from our nervous system. Let's train the other division of our nervous system, the parasympathetic branch of our autonomic nervous system, that calm uh, uh, feeling that we get um, where we're actually way more creative and, and a way better ability to be um, uh, emotionally competent with our relationships uh, comes from that parasympathetic state. But we have to train that. Nowadays, we really have to actively train that division of our nervous system. What does that look like? It looks like a bunch of things. It looks like going for a walk on the beach. It looks like reconnecting with nature. It looks like socializing. It looks like eating well, drinking drinking the right amount of fluid, exercising. All these things that we're told, you know, the pillars of health, these are the foundations that I'm talking about. Don't have solid foundations. We're just adding low to imbalance. And we're often looking for this convoluted solution to all of our problems when actually the solution is simple. We've got to get back connected to what matters, and that's ourselves. And uh, man, and and nature. And I think it's really important as well, like to prioritize, to declutter our lives, right? Like to simplify, because I think we, it's one thing to get mentally and physically stable, but if our environment is all over the shop because we're doing a million things and like eighty-five percent of them is shit we shouldn't be doing. Like, that's just like, well, can we, re you know what I mean? Like for a long time, I tried so hard to focus on my physical and mental environments as a means to calm down. Then I realized, well, I actually do have some control over my environment. And that's like what I engage in. Like stop doing 5,000 things in one day and like 90% of it's useless. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, so there's a lot of that too. Like we're busy. How much are we doing is really aligned to our priorities and what's important. Two things there. One is, um, if you have an agitated mind, to be in a quiet space is agitating. And so we try to fill that void with singing, right? Whether it be phone, whether it be alcohol, and whatever it might be. The second thing there is, how good does it feel when you clean your car? How good does it feel when you have a clean office space, a clean house? It creates mental clarity, right? And that is on a microcosm. That is everything about like what we should be trying to do with our environment. And that's where that's where like reconnecting to nature. Nature is so simple. Like just going for a walk on the beach is like it's simple. It's it's um it's accessible to everybody and it creates mental clarity. And there's one question I ask all my clients in the entire week, how many times did your foot touch the earth's surface? Yeah, oh, that's a good one. And um, man, I've got there's there's a client. Uh, he lives in um, New York, and when I asked, and he's a, a corporate uh, professional, and when I asked him this, he sat there and he thought about it, and he said, "Never an entire week, his foot would never touch the Earth's surface." Man, just just there's so many things to unpack there. The concepts of grounding, the concept 
the concepts of reconnecting to the nature, the concepts of, look, if we look from a musculoskeletal standpoint, the concepts of actually strengthening your foot and ankle complex, 100 muscles, ligaments, and tendons, once they become weak, the arc of your foot, like the arc underneath the bridge, it's there to strengthen the structure. Once the arc of your foot becomes weak, then you're going to have ankle, knee, uh, hip, back. And, and, you know, once that happens and you have uh, imbalance in your muscular system, again, that ripples over to every other system in your body. And then that ripples over into your mind and it creates an agitated mind. So, yeah, probably, probably getting a little... Uh... <laughs> no, it's it, 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 it's it's relevant. I mean, I, I actually was talking about this last week. I mean, as someone that spends a, a, quite a lot of time in the, the outback, I, I run and I live out here. And my view is that, and this isn't necessarily scientifically proven, but when I do go out in the bush, depending on how hectic life has been, there's almost an immediate calm that hits me that's so profound that kind of almost brings me to tears. The second part of that is I don't think that we fully understand how artificial noise has impacted us as a human. Like you think about it, for how long did our civilization live without artificial noise? Yeah? Like in and like what's the real impact of artificial noise? You know, like I know I had a previous guest. They, I think, uh, two, um, two of them were on my show at the same time. They wrote a book called Silence, and they dove into this, this kind of phenomena of noise and what it's done to humanity. It's super interesting, right? Like, what's what's your take on that? My take is like, Ian, most of the noise is not external; it's internal, and it's coming from from up here. And so I understand what you're saying, like all this external noise. Um, yeah, and look, if you have, if you develop a meditative practice where you find a quiet space, you lie down, uh, and you meditate, I, I like to call it, um, uh, nervous system regulation. What I'm trying to do is regulate my nervous system. You're going to learn a lot of things. You're going to learn about where that noise is coming from and how noisy it is and how it's so hard to switch off. And meditation is not about getting relaxed. It's about, a lot of the time, it's about working with that agitation and understanding how to improve your focus. Allow your mind to wander, bring it back. Allow your mind to wander, bring it back. Every time you bring it back, you're strengthening that front, that, that part of your brain that's associated with sustained focus and creativity and, and um, you know, your, your short-term working memory. So, yeah, I, I, I absolutely... Um, there was one thing you said, you know, about just going out into nature and running and how that overwhelms you with a sense of like, uh, whatever, whatever that emotion might be. Yesterday I was sitting, I was doing the hot cold therapy and the sun had gone down and it was going down and I sat in the cold tub out on my deck and I just watched the clouds go past. And I just really tried to just focus on that just for five minutes while I was was an old tub. I just try to focus on the clouds going past. You know, that was yesterday, and I haven't been able to get it out of my mind. Um, it, it, oh, I don't even know how to describe it, but that practice for me was so powerful. Just, just um, because I'm busy, man. I'm busy, and my mind is it. How, how can it not be? I'm trying to run a business. I've got uh, family things. I've got uh, mortgage. There's all this stuff going on. I have an agitated mind. What I understand now is I have to work on it. Otherwise, the the imbalance becomes pretty loud. Uh, and mm. everyone listening, 
it comes back to that thing of unless you go live on an island, uh, you know, you quit your job, you divorce your wife or your husband, get rid of your mortgage, you go and live on an island, uh, that's not practical. And even then, you'd still find multiple interests. This is not bad to you. You know, we know that. Well, then you have to deal with you. And then you realize that y- you should have gave your- yourself up because that's the real issue, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah. And I think nowadays people have a negative connotation with stress because of their past experiences that they've been, they've had stress, they've had anxiety, and they don't want to feel that again. So they start avoiding stress. They start avoiding like things that make them uncomfortable. This is a huge problem. And I know like what you're doing, like stuff that you're doing and really challenging yourself is unlocking so many of these things for you around your past. Um, un- better understanding your mind, better understanding like your reactive patterns. It's incredibly powerful, man. And, and everyone can find that thing. Like for you, it's like, it's, um, what's on this, you know, you're pushing yourself, uh, to do these ultra, um, endurance things, you know, and we can all find that, like we can all find something we should be constantly challenging ourselves constantly. We shouldn't be searching for happiness. People get into this thing of like searching for happiness. Mm. Search for challenges and experiences. The happiness will come and be content and be content to be unhappy. Be content to be emotionally overwhelmed. And when you're in those moments, find the silver lining, right? Find the good thing. Right? There's something there that's like um, you you can use everything to your advantage no matter how bad it is. Yeah. Right? And when you have that mindset, that growth mindset, it's so powerful, man, because that's where we start channeling all of these behaviors through to our subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, I, I have this conversation with a, my mentor around like every, everything is an opportunity for practice. Yeah. Like life is the stage and the interactions and the comings and goings and what's coming up. That's actually the opportunity for growth. I think many times. And this is why I kind of have a funny view of like this whole concept and, and domain of spirituality kind of gets left in a certain domain, maybe on the mat or when you're in a, and you know, in, in some kind of religious or spiritual forum. But the reality is, is that it's, it's to be lived and, and in our, in our daily experiences and where we are able to implement these things in real life scenarios. And you're right. I mean, when we look at it that way, life is, everything's an opportunity for growth. I mean, I remember my first sponsor, you know, like I used to be so up and down all the time and he used to frustrate me because I'd come with all these problems and he goes, you know what? The upside is your opportunity for growth is massive. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to hear that dude. Like, you know what I mean? But because there's whatever issues in the, you know, you know, so. It's perspective. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to start to land this plane Dave, I really enjoyed this conversation. I know the Ultra Habits community is going to get tons out of it. Um, if somebody wants to start the journey, I know that we've talked tons of things people could do, but let's say someone just wants to start the journey in starting to look at, let's let's talk about re- their reactivity because I think we've talked about that today. Like what are the first you know couple habits they could start to implement into their lives that would give them some uh, capacity to 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 understand their reactivity in it, you know. I think the first thing is um, we need other people, right? We need uh, professionals. We need we need these people, right? But 
I think we're, I think park that aside, we've got to just stop relying on other people and start doing like the deep self work and where you start, put yourself in a quiet place. Go and put yourself in a quiet place just for 10, 15 minutes and start writing down some of your own reactive patterns. Start talking to yourself, start better understanding yourself because unless you do that, um, you know, everything else is external. Um, practices like, I think, I think like in terms of how do we, how do you start a, uh, practice to better, um, regulate your nervous system, to improve your focus, to, uh, better control your patterns of behavior. I think it starts with just like basics, man, the pillars of health. We talk about, we hear about these pillars of health all the time, integrate those into your life. Again, if you don't know what they are, go Google this is a busy podcast manner about creating awareness. Like someone's going to listen to us and it's going to create awareness and they're going to go and start their own journey, right? We're all on a health journey and we're all at a different place in that health journey. But I think what's really important is throughout the day, we start doing things purposefully, intentionally, that shift us back into a calm state. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It might be five minutes of breathing. It might be leaving your work, going down to the park and just going for a walk for 10 minutes. Uh, it might be a practice of reconnecting to nature, watching the sun come up in the, in the morning, watching the sun go down in the evening. Just think simple things, think things that regulate your nervous system and put you into a calm state. That's excellent. And Dave, where can our audience learn more about you, man? Um, through my website, wmw.co.nz. Uh through my Instagram handle at Integrated Training. Uh, and most of my work now is, well, well, 60% of my work is online. So uh, both with um, athletes and just human beings that are struggling with stress and pressure and overwhelm. Uh, and, and my work is getting them to better understand what's going on, give them the skills and the practical uh, applications so that they can make substantial and sustainable change. Well, man, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. I appreciate what you're doing. I, had, I listened to a few of your podcasts uh, yesterday, and I was really impressed. Um, and this is this is how we get this information out there, right? So thank you. Of course, bro.